Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 129, recorded June 22nd, 2013. So the whole time I was reading these uh, over this last week, I just kept... The, the theme song to Deep Space Nine was really stuck in my head. Ah. So every time I'd crack open the books... That's amazing. Yeah, I don't this know why. Time, this time more than normal. Because we exactly. do a fair number of Deep Space Nine comics. Right. But all week, I've been, every time I would open up the books... Well, cool. And my wife's soundtrack going, going. Oh, you're reading, you're reading Deep Space Nine? I can hear the theme. You too? Weird. <laughs> exactly. So, Weird. yeah, so we're reading Wacky. this week issues 19, 20, and 21 of Deep Space Nine by Malibu Comics. Yes, yes. Nice little... Uh, the first two are one-offs, uh, and the third one's the one-off also, I believe. But, yeah, interesting having little one-offs, little stories to tell you about the people and the events. Of right. the wormhole neighborhood. Uh, it, it's weird that all three of these stories, to me, acted like they were starting after the first act was already over. So, in all three, I was playing a lot of catch-up in the first couple pages just because I felt like I'd missed something. And I know, like, the old Star Trek, like, uh, the Shatner Star Trek was guilty of this a lot of times because I remember as a kid, I would turn on the TV and it's the one where they... Like sling already had slingshot across the sun, and they're now in the 1960s. Right. And I remember watching it, going, "Oh my god, this is part two! I must have missed the first episode." Right. And you know, what until later when you could actually watch them all in order. That no, that's just how that episode was designed. It just starts, sure. and they're already there. Exactly. But these three issues all felt like that to me. That that it starts. There's already something really going on, and I'm playing catch up to try to figure out why, how we got to where we're at. Right. Did did you feel that way? Uh, yeah, yeah, and and that's fine if they want to dispense with the with the lead up and just get right into the story because they got a lot to say if they have a lot to say. Uh, I'm okay with that. Sometimes also when they have flashbacks or something to help fill in some details, that's helpful. But um, most of these are just going right into the story in the middle. Right. Which is fine. Yeah. They yeah. just it just seemed weird that there was three in a row that kind of all had that same. You know, uh, plot Field structure, it. right? But anyways, all right. Well, you want to get into issue number nineteen? That'd be great. All right, issue number nineteen. This has a cover date of February nineteen ninety-five. It's entitled "Mission of Mercy." The writer is Dan Mishkin. Penciler is Ken Penders. Arnie Starr is the inker. Joseph Allen is the letterer. Mike Heleman is the color designer. Violet Hughes with Janice Weismer is the interior color. Clarissa Manasala is assistant editor. And Mark Pansia is the editor. So we got an assistant editor this month. The cover shows Bashir and Cisco uh, lying in some bio beds, completely unconscious. And uh, around them, it's kind of an aerial shot, but around them we see two three-armed aliens working feverishly on them. So how did they get into such a predicament? Let's find out. So the story starts kind of abruptly with Cisco and Bashir uh, flying around in a runabout. Uh, they've just entered the Gamma Quadrant through the wormhole. They are on a mission of mercy uh, to help two warring species who have just ended a generations-long war. Bashir is there to give some medical aid with the assistance of a Federation ambassador team that's already there. And, uh, you know, they're there to just offer help to whichever side needs it. As they near the system, they are fired upon uh, using some sort of projectile. And so the uh, bullet or whatever 
ends up just slicing through the craft, leaving pinprick hole in the transparent aluminum in the front and a hole in the aft hole. Bashir is able to patch the two holes before all the air is blown into the vacuum. Just as Cisco stabilizes the craft, it is attacked again by a more conventional energy weapon fired from a nearby fighter craft. Both Starfleet officers are knocked out completely. Later, Bashir wakes on an alien craft. Two strange blue-skinned alien doctors are having a hard time with the two humans' physical needs. Bashir is able to stay awake long enough to keep the aliens from inadvertently poisoning the commander. He listens to Sisko's heart and confirms that Sisko is having a cardiac arrhythmia. As he tries to tell them how to help, he lapses into unconsciousness. Bashir dreams about his time on vacation on a beautiful tropical island. He is clad only in a bathing suit, and his lady friend is clad only in a purple bikini. Their swimming is cut short as three large alien males who are purple-skinned except for their faces. Looks like an, an African's human face. Um, so they, they look human in the face, but the rest of their body is like purple scaly type stuff. Bashir tries to escape the three, but he's soon caught, and the trio of men take them to their village. There, he is asked to try to save a young boy. Bashir wakes again in the small alien craft. He tells the aliens how to shock Sisko in order to get his heart to beat correctly. The aliens initially balk at the idea of shocking someone, but they go ahead and do so, and Sisko's heart returns to normal. Bashir's eyes roll back into his head, and he is out again. Back in his memories, Bashir is not sure how to help the boy. He has not completed his studies at this point and has not had any training on aliens. He's only been trained on humans. He thinks that perhaps the boy is being exposed to some sort of radiation. The elders are shocked at this idea. Their species thrives on radiation, and they have been sure to give the boy his proper exposure. Bashir is surprised to learn that the species needs radiation and fears that he will not know how to save this boy. Back on the alien craft, Bashir wakes up while the alien doctors are taking the small craft into some evasive maneuvers. Their attacker is not prepared for the doctor's tricky move, and he's able to blast the other ship. Bashir marvels at the idea of doctors being fantastic pilots as well. Then, nap time. Bashir recalls how the boy dies, and he was able to do nothing. The elders of the village return him to his vacation, knowing that he did all he could for the boy. Bashir then vows that he will learn everything he can about alien physiology. Bashir wakes again to find Sisko up and about. They are heading back to the rendezvous point with the other Federation ambassadors. The alien doctors are happy that the two humans are recovering. En route... Bashir asks the aliens if they could teach him a bit about evasive maneuvers. The end. Pretty hot flyer, that uh, that alien guy. It helps that he has extra arms. Well, he only has one extra arm. And he also has very interesting shoes, which you only see on the cover. And actually, you know, you do, you do see it in the book. They look like, like the tail end of a missile or something. The bottom portion of a missile. Yes, it's got fins. It looks metallic. And their their feet must be basically like plugs, because there's nothing that goes forward. Right. It just the legs, the bottom of the legs just go right into things that look like the bottom of a missile. Amazing. Yeah, I kind of wonder if they're supposed to be like elephant elephant type feet. I don't know. Maybe they have that it. would fit. So maybe it's like a metallic sock that they pull up over their uh, elephant feet. I don't know. It's with fins for stabilization. <laughs> exactly. Maybe that's what. It, yeah, maybe they just don't have toes, and and their species requires these uh, stabilization fins. Right. That's funny. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's a weird look. It is a weird look. But and the aliens yeah. look weird too, because their their third arm doesn't seem to be coming out of their sternum. It seems to be coming out kind of to the side a little bit. 
So, you know, like, uh, Star Trek the Animated Series had Oryx, and he had a third arm that came straight out of his chest. These, this seems to be a little off. Off-center. That, that's right? Okay. So, I don't know. It, 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 it is a peculiar look, for sure. It is. It's good to have some variety, though. Wouldn't you think that they would have a shoulder or some sort of clavicle, too, coming out of their chest in which the arm would attach to? I don't know. I'm just having a hard time thinking about how this skeleton structure would work. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. It seems like it couldn't really attach just to the ribs. Right. But you don't know what uh, what their skeletal structure is underneath. Right. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, yes. how much can they really do with that arm? Can they pick up stuff? Because if, I mean, then it would need some sort of larger, you know, like clavicle type bone support. in order to support, right? Mm-hmm. Anyways, maybe we're thinking too much about their... Uh, weird anatomy. I think we are, because they seem to be doing yeah roughly similar things with each uh, each arm. Right. It does look like they have two right arms though. Looking at the orientation of thumbs, they've only got f- three fingers. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, <laughs> well they are indeed alien, and uh, and very quite different from. Humans, and that's why they're having a hard time treating Cisco. They don't have hearts. They don't have a circulatory system. So everything that makes up these two humans is alien to them. Right. I I left all that part out of the synopsis just because I wanted to get along with it, get on with it. Exactly. Well, you need to. You can't give every detail. It's called a synopsis. Right. So at the beginning of the attack, I was a little surprised that that little projectile came through. At first, I thought it was a uh, just a meteorite, right. just a random meteorite. Like, um, do you ever see the movie Mission to Mars? Uh, yes, uh, with uh, Gary Sinise, Tim Robbins. Yep, yep, yes. Mm-hmm. So there was a scene there in the uh, ship that was on its way to Mars where a, a micrometeorite came through and punctured the hull and, and actually went through one of the astronauts' hands, uh, the guy who was on sliders. And and that's what I thought it was at first. I, I didn't know it was an attack at all. Yeah, same here. And it's like, it's like it just seemed awkward. It just seemed odd. Um, another thing, it kind of looked like it was a yellow stream. So at first I thought, well, is this supposed to be a tiny laser beam or something if it's, a, if it's an attack? And it's like, no, nah, probably a projectile. But it's like, don't they have shields? I mean, yes, you're not being attacked at that moment, so maybe you don't have full force shields. But micrometeorites must be a threat no matter right. what. Absolutely. So wouldn't you think you have some form of shield, not to mention radiation, up all the yeah. time? I don't no, know. No, absolutely. You would have to, especially if you were moving at warp. I mean, you're talking about moving at the speed of light or faster. Well, there you go. In anything, anything in the, in your way sure. would be would just slice right through you. You didn't have shields. Uh, well, and a deflector beam. But yes, exactly. So something. But so I was kind of surprised that they were attacked like that. And what was that thing on top of the runabout? There, there's like an extra part on top of the runabout. That's a Is that like? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, it looks like a little extra, like luggage rack or something on the top. Uh, <laughs> Which I, I'm I'm not used to seeing. Is that for like long trips or something? I don't know. I don't know. Remember that but, the runabout is module, so you could always add and take away things. So there you go. It's a modular solution. Wonderful. No, I, I'm so. with you. And his little he pulls out those clamps or whatever they were uh, to somehow seal right. up the hole. I thought was was weird. I mean, because we've seen in other ships where if you get a hole punctured into you, you just turn on some sort of magic force field and it'll cover it up. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. And wasn't this thing kind of some kind of a... Um, uh, that's got that's got one breach shielded and secure, sir. So it sounds like it's a, some kind of portable uh, shield generation thing. Oh, is that what it was? Which seems, yeah, I couldn't quite figure well, out what he did because he put these two like square, rectangular, L-shaped yep. type uh, yep. metal things on each side of the hole without getting sucked out yep. somehow. He's really strong, uh, and it just yeah. says clamp, clamp, and then he yeah. he leaves those, and then he walks away to get something else to to do the yeah. one in the back. 
Yeah, so I don't really know what yeah. it was doing. Well, because he says shielded, I'm going to assume that there is some kind of little uh, shield generator. Yeah, why couldn't you just put like a little piece of metal uh, and have it just s- stuck there? Well, ex- exactly. It's kind of like uh, uh, a little bit of over-engineering here. <laughs> you know, just... Uh, yeah, exactly right. So, so put a five-inch square piece of metal over the hole. You know, the 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 air sucking out is going to keep it in place. And there you go. Yeah, yeah, I wonder if that would work though, because as soon as you put that there, then the air wouldn't be sucked out anymore. So then, would it? If you put super glue on it, would? Okay, you need the super glue. Did, did, did I mention the super glue? You part? missed the super glue. Oh well, it's the super glue part. Okay, well then that makes sense. Total sense. That's right, because you don't want to have a scene like in the end of. Was it Alien. the second or third Alien movie? Alien Resurrection. It was the fourth one. The fourth one. Okay. Yes. That was gross. Where the alien baby got sucked out. It was so sad. <laughs> it was gross is what it was. Yeah, but she just... She found her grandmother. And was just trying to give her her respect. And uh-huh. then her grandmother... Sucked her out of the little hole. Sucked her out of the little hole and it's all sad. Oh. Anyway, so I wasn't I wasn't that sad. So uh, I really don't like if this was a projectile of some sort, you know, just a bullet. Um, right. I don't like that that Star Trek people have all this advanced technology, but a bullet can can hurt them because they're not expecting it or whatever. And right. I mean, we saw it in First Contact when Picard kills Borg with holographic bullets because the Borg are only used to energy weapons and that just seems like it just seems like a cop out to me because a bullet would be I think people would still have projectile weapons even if you had energy weapons and you should be and there's a lot of sure and there's a lot of other science fiction stories where both are in existence right there was one interesting one that where people had lasers, but they took so long to recharge, to recycle until they could uh, discharge again. You'd have both right. projectile weapons as well as lasers. See, yeah. if you, there you go. and if you There's have super point. shielding, you should be able to do both. Good point. Good point. Yeah. So the uh, the grape colored people that are uh, that are in their speedos, right? It's like. Uh, so they're supposed to be the downtrodden lower class, huh? Right. Unfortunate. Unfortunate. It is unfortunate, and it didn't really add anything to the story. Not really, because it almost seemed like they were trying to... I don't know whether they might have been doing a social commentary thing, like these were supposed to be Hispanics or something. Uh, I wasn't quite sure if that's what they were maybe trying to go for. I don't know. I was thinking Uh, more... People that are on the fringes of society and then... Well, and I was, kind of away from the people of privilege. I don't know. Yeah, but why? I was thinking that it was more like a, a slave labor type thing because they do say that they have to work at those places, but they can't. They're 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 not able to own anything, or they're not able to actually go to the hospitals for their own kids. Um, yeah. So I was thinking that it was supposed to be more of like a, a analogous to slave labor in the, you know the the old American you know, Civil War era type thing. Or at least that's, right. what, that's what I was getting out of it. Right. Except that they're not actually chained or in pens or anything. They, they just seem to be off in their own part of the planet and whatever mm. and come into work. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Maybe. Yeah, you're right. I don't know where they were going with it. Right. Probably nowhere. We're just reading It didn't add anything to the story except for it explained why they can't go to the hospital or whatever to, right. to look at that boy. And, and they have right. to kidnap somebody instead. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't get it. So definitely what this book is trying to do is to give you the origins of a little more backstory to how Jillian became even more interested in uh, treating aliens than, what, most doctors? I mean, since he's being held up as... Uh, you know, a shining example of, of knowledge of treating aliens, which is going to be leveraged somehow in these interactions with these warring uh, aliens. 
Right. But you had a point before the uh, the call on that. Before we right. Recording. I mean, he's in Starfleet Medical. He he hasn't finished his studies yet, but he he is there. And mm-hmm. I just find it hard to believe that you would be any type of doctor at Starfleet Medical, and you've only been learning on your own species. I mean, because humans is only right. one out of thousands of alien races. That's part of the Federation. Mm-hmm. Why would you be as far as he is, and he's never even looked at an alien? Physiology it just seemed seemed weird, right? So if you're a Starfleet doctor, you should. I mean, sure, you might know humans best because that might have been your first four eight years of schooling, you know, whatever. Right. But when you go into Starfleet, you should be learning about multiple species. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it just seemed seemed odd that he would be that naive about anybody other than humans at this point in his life. Right. Yeah. Yep. But and then now that we also know that later he'll it'll come out that he's a enhanced human, the story really doesn't make sense because at this time he would be, you know, a super genius and already know everything, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and that's that's an interesting point about the the whole enhanced human. I know he's physically enhanced because he was always beaten, uh, <laughs> O'Brien at darts and everything. But uh, and so he's mentally enhanced too, huh? Right. That was the whole reason why they did it, because he he was born a little slow, so or oh, really slow. I don't remember that detail. Yeah, and his parents allowed him to be enhanced because they didn't want him to be a know, dummy. Right. So they did it so that he could, um, you know, function in society. Um. So yes, he's he's mentally and physically enhanced. He's basically ah. Khan. Oh, but not 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 that enhanced. But not I hope mani- maniacal. No. But no, no, I think they actually say it in the episode that he is he is this generation's Khan. But yeah, and that's why it's against yeah, the I, law to do that kind of stuff. Sure, and I thought that was part of selective breeding as well where uh, the con situation where obviously Julian there was no selective breeding involved he obviously had something done at a genetic level or something right that that made him um, superior right which I always wonder how does that work I mean you've got trillions and quadrillions or whatever of uh, cells in your body and then they tinker with what one of them, and somehow that change gets propagated to the rest of your body. Really? How, how does that work? I, I, you know, genetic manipulation after you already for an existing being. I just don't know how that works. Well, I think if you tinker with the DNA, that it would. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, and I mean, you you could tinker with the DNA, and then once that DNA you'd have to tinker with all and then it would have to spread throughout your whole body and then that would exactly. be your base DNA from that point on right and of course cells in your body apparently live and die and replicate over time so I guess with that turnover going on eventually they would get propagated right hmm interesting yeah well at least uh, at least they seem to have gotten uh, some of that genetic manipulation right in the fact that uh, Jillian except for not being able to get dates as often as he'd like <laughs> although he did fine around that swimming hole I must say yeah she just disappears so did she go get the authorities or did she just I don't know she wasn't important to the story so later, they moved on yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, we call me should have kept her around longer yeah call me <laughs> <laughs> call me when you get away from the kidnappers bye Okay, that's my last comment. What else do you got? Yeah, I, that's it. That's all I have for this one. All right, let's uh, jump into issue number 20. Even better than that one. Ah, sarcasm is gushing. Okay, uh, issue 20 is titled Last Remains. Published date is March 1995. Dan Mishkin is the writer. Penciler Ken Penders. Inker Jack Snyder. Ink assists David Maury and Scott Reed. Letterer Mike D. Lupine, 
Color design by Barry Gregory. Interior colors by Salvador Mancha and Nathan Potvin with Foodhama. Yes, it says that. Foodhama. Assistant editor is Clarissa Manasala and editor is Mark Panacea. The cover features a ship that looks like a big Tylenol with nacelles on each side. It appears to be on fire or perhaps being bombarded by balls of fire. It may be traveling through the wormhole. Whatever the case is, that ship's in trouble. The story opens with a ship exiting the wormhole that is out of control and calling DS9 for an emergency tractor beam. Kira, Sisko, and O'Brien, among others, are manning ops. They cannot understand the garbled communication they are receiving from the ship. O'Brien theorizes the incoming ship was affected by the same unknown force that just knocked out DS9's main systems. O'Brien says he cannot get a tractor beam on the ship in time. Sisko orders shields be raised. The small two-man ship explodes on contact with the shields. Kira reports all hands lost. O'Brien reports he just now has the station's primary systems online. Too late, he is afraid. Cisco orders a full investigation of what caused the system's failures on the station and the unfortunate ship. Dax reports the outages were likely caused by an electromagnetic pulse. She says she may have located the source, which is inside the wormhole, and that that source is generating more and more EM energy as they speak. Cisco orders shields to maximum. Their protection is not absolute, and artificial gravity is temporarily lost on the C-ring and ops. After gravity is restored, they launch a Class I sensor probe into the wormhole to learn more about the source of the EM pulses. Dax reports a strong gravitational source that is in addition to the huge gravitational forces given off by the wormhole. The effects of the anomaly are strong enough that they are altering Bajor itself. It's actually knocked the planet off of its normal axis angle. For now, the effect appears to be temporary, but they can easily become permanent or even get worse. Sisko tells O'Brien he needs options and he needs them fast. How can they remove the anomaly from the wormhole? Kira asks to speak to Sisko in private. She says if they can't stop the EM emissions, they may have to execute contingency plans that would collapse the wormhole. But the wormhole is the economic salvation of Bajor, and the source of the Orbs of the Prophets. Sisko agrees with the conundrum, and says he and the Federation want to keep the wormhole open for many of the same reasons as Bajor would want to keep it open. However, if the lives of the people of Bajor and the station continue to be threatened, then he will do what must be done. They emerge from Sisko's office and get the report that Dax and O'Brien may have something. Based on the data probe sent back before it was destroyed, they think the source of the gravitational anomaly is a singularity within a ship. A very old ship. A Romulan ship, perhaps, from the days before the Federation came into contact with the Romulans. O'Brien theorizes the old Romulan ship probably came upon the wormhole by accident and was drawn in. Once they realized what had happened, they tried to come about and fight their way back to the entrance, rather than letting the wormhole carry them to the Gamma Quadrant. They realized too late that their ship could not take the stresses of making that kind of maneuver. Since Romulan ships use a captive singularity to power their star drives, they think it is its core that is the second singularity that is causing all the trouble. Sisko asks if the ship has been in there for a hundred years, what is making it act up now? Dax, of course, has a theory on that. She says as long as the ship and its core stayed in the wormhole undisturbed, things were okay. But now with traffic going to and fro through the wormhole, the core's casing has been disturbed and eroded to the point that intermittently the shielding is failing and allowing its singularity to interact with the wormhole which is causing the EM pulses. Kira reports a big one is on its way towards the station. Dax is hurt by an exploding council 
and the station's shield strength is reduced to 58%. O'Brien and Dax take the Defiant out to the edge of the wormhole in an attempt to use the ship's tractor beams to pull the Romulan ship and its engine core out of the wormhole. They get a hold of the ship and start pulling it towards the exit. An EM pulse interrupts their work, but they are able to come around and grapple the Romulan ship a second time. Sisko, unwilling to risk the Defiant or its crew beyond reason, gives them five minutes to get the ship out. Dax and O'Brien know that is not enough time, so they come up with another plan that is full of technobabble on the order that Geordi LaForge would approve. The proposal, when complete, would have the Romulan ship out of the wormhole where they could quickly contain its unstable core and end the destructive EM emissions. Though hard to swallow all of it, Sisko accepts the plan and orders the Defiant away from the wormhole. On Sisko's orders, the station begins firing the needed phased energy pulses at the wormhole. The wormhole begins reacting immediately, and finally, in a huge flash of orange light, the wormhole is gone. What is left is part of the Romulan ship, the one with the captive singularity. Dax reports the core is unstable. It could go any minute. So quite logically, she fires a volley of photon torpedoes at it and blows it up real good. The Defiant was still intact after the explosion. As the ship returns to DS9, the wormhole reopens apparently none the worse for wear. Sisko says it's open and that is how she will stay as long as he has anything to say about it. The end. Wow, that was an amazing ending. Wasn't it just just amazing? <laughs> I'll be I'll be honest, I was reading this and I'm like, oh I'm glad I'm not gonna synopsize this because I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> <laughs> well there you go. I mean, they might as well just say, Technobabble, 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 the Romulan ship will be outside the wormhole by the end. Okay. Because <laughs> it makes no sense. Uh, I, did not, I did not follow it all. No, no. Somehow they're going to do something and invert the wormhole and close the wormhole, but that's okay because they'll be able to open it again and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean... And I liked the uh, I liked when Kira was like, "So is it like, turn rolling up a sock and putting it in your drawer when when you're done with it?" And Dax is like, uh, "Not really, but if that's what you want to think about it, okay." <laughs> I thought that was actually pretty funny because that's yeah. kind of how I felt. I was just like, "Oh, okay, just go with it." Gotcha. Thank you, Dax. <laughs> rolling up a sock when you're done with it. It's like what? What? Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, and, and you can just tell, da- although she's not saying it, Dax is saying, sure, idiot, <laughs> dummy. Sure, think about it that way if it helps you sleep at night. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Hey, wait a minute, I was that dummy. So was I. <laughs> so was I. We we're all, everybody reading it is the dummy. Anyway, I would think. Since it's all, you know, it's, it's just a bunch of, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Non-scientific writers just making stuff up. But what do you want? No, it's eh, all whatever. real. It's all real, kid. It's all real. Well, at least if you could say something that's plausible, that's fine. But, oh, my God, it wasn't. Of course, I, I think it was interesting seeing that uh, that ancient Romulan Tylenol ship. Yeah, I thought I thought having the, the Romulans in it was actually pretty cool. Yeah. And, and for an old experimental ship, I thought it was an interesting design. Right. So, uh, did you have any problems with it being a uh, Romulan ship as far as story wise goes well I don't remember how O'Brien came to the conclusion that it was 100 years old Um, the idea that hey it could be a ship and or let's okay so it it could be a, a captured singularity let's see what has captured singularities oh Romulan ships it's a Romulan ship Okay, I kind of go along with that, but I, I don't. I missed the explanation that said it's like it's over a hundred years old. I missed right. that part of it. You missed it as far as how Cisco came up to that conclusion, or or what do you mean? Oh, was it Cisco or O'Brien? I thought that was part of O'Brien's thing. Oh, okay, I couldn't remember who said it. Because O'Brien, who by the way was not tra- drawn very well, 
in parts of this book. Um, right. It was O'Brien that got to do the song and dance and explain everything. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't even think they said why they thought it was over a hundred years old, uh, but they just, I think they just said it was, and it's like I, I just don't know how they came to that conclusion. But yeah, good point. Good point. Um, yeah. So the idea, I think the idea that a ship would have a captured singularity that to drive it is like, oh my god, that sounds horribly dangerous. <laughs> I mean, but then again, a matter antimatter explosion sounds pretty dangerous too when you think about it. And it's like right. any of these ships, if they're attacked and they blow up, it's like, jeepers, that would be a heck of an explosion. That would probably take out any attacking ships even close to them. Well, yeah. So, but you have ships being fired upon all the time in these stories, and it's like... Well, I mean, it's analogous to nuclear submarines. If if any of those go, I mean, it may not cause a big explosion, but the, you know, the nuclear waste would be pretty catastrophic. Right, but this is a captured singularity. I mean... That's. I'm I mean, just saying. It, that and it's, my understanding of it, it's a it's a wormhole. I mean, it's it's a black hole, it's a black right? Hole, right. So, wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't a captured black hole kind of like if it was released, kind of like do its gravitational thing and suck everything in around it? Yeah, it would suck, all right. You know, it would suck, including the attacking ships around it. But whatever. Maybe it's a teeny tiny one. It's just a tiny one. I don't know. <laughs> no, I. I you know, and and I hate to say it, but I did not ever catch that the the Romulans used wormholes or uh, black holes until recently. Yeah. I think you were the one that pointed it out to me here on the show. So when they were talking about this, I was like, <laughs> I know what you're talking about now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I, I it didn't bother me that you know the ship. You know, being in there, causing the problems. Uh, the the only problem I had with this book was the resolution. The somehow folding the end of the end of one end of the wormhole, wormhole. to the other side, and that side end to this side uh, just seemed like you said ridiculous techno babble, and it just seemed like just blah 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 blah. Let's get to the end of the story and. Uh, but aside from that, I thought this book was actually pretty good. And I loved seeing The Defiant. I love seeing The Defiant. And that's about the only thing I could say. Well, okay, I shouldn't say that. Uh, I liked, I love seeing The Defiant in action, and I, I thought the Romulan ship was pretty cool. Um, even though it does look like a big Tylenol. But about everything other than that, I thought this was a dumb book. Aww. I, I wasn't that crazy about it. And I thought you texted me something... Uh, disparaging about this one. Yeah, just the end. Okay. The just end the was end. just really took me out of it. Right. Uh, flipping the wormhole. Yeah. One one into the other, just just like oh my goodness, you just ruined the book. Because you had an interesting premise. I thought. I thought, you know, a, a black hole inside of the wormhole was interesting and right. causing, you know, all these problems, and that you're probably going to have to close it up for good. But then you could just kind of like rah, rah. silly good thing. <laughs> yeah, and and the silliness keeps on going in the next issue. Yes, it does. Shall we just jump into it? Yeah, I really don't have anything else to say about it. All right, let's do it. All right, issue number twenty-one. This came out April of nineteen ninety-five. It is entitled "Fade Out." Uh, writer is Dan Mishkin. Penciler is Rob Davis. Inker is Bruce McCorkendale. Letterer is Mike Delapine. Color design is Moose Bauman. And then Food Hammer with Nathan Potvin is the interior color. Clarissa Manasia is the assistant editor, and Mark Pansia is the editor. All right, so the cover shows a alien with some weird, like, horn-looking things coming off his eyebrows and his chin. Uh, kind of, he looks like a ghost a little bit because he looks like he's just fading into existence. Uh, he's standing behind O'Brien, who is working at a station there in Ops, and it looks like he's about to choke the good chief engineer with some sort of 
a rope or string. All right, the story starts off with an alien craft trying to leave Deep Space Nine, but the station has not yet released it from the pylon. Cisco informs the alien commander that they're holding the ship due to some illegal cargo within the ship. When the aliens realize that they cannot break free from the station, they do the unthinkable. They attempt to transport the whole ship away from the station. Everyone is surprised on ops as the alien ship vanishes. Near the airlock that's holding the ship, Odo and his security officer there notice that their communicators are no longer working. The security officer starts to act strange. He tells Odo that he's everywhere. He could be even watching me eat. He's there when I'm sleeping. He's everywhere. Uh, indeed, we get to see what the man is seeing, and there are maybe dozens of Odos standing all around watching him. The man tries to use his phaser on the constable, but it does not work. Odo then slams the man against a wall, knocking him out. On the promenade, a black void has appeared. It seems to be wavering and perhaps even growing larger. As Kira and Sisko arrive to investigate, Rom pops out of it. He is very frightened. He says that there were giant Bajorans in there. Giant Bajoran women were in there. Before he can say what the giant Bajoran women were trying to make him do, Odo emerges from the void. He tells them that the void is actually appearing all over the station. And while inside of it, people are experiencing hallucinations. Back on Ops, the black void appears around O'Brien, and he's sucked in. O'Brien finds himself in an empty Ops area. The only other person that he can see is a Tezwari alien. And those are the aliens that were in the ship that was trying to escape earlier. The alien seems to be trying to work the controls, but they're not working. When O'Brien tries to stop him, the alien attacks. Before the alien can strangle O'Brien, Sisko's arm appears through the void and pulls him out. O'Brien is unsure whether he really saw an alien or whether he was hallucinating it while in the void. On the alien ship, the leader is angry with the crew's attempt to teleport the ship. It somehow backfired, and instead of moving them, it has created an alternate dimension or an alternate state. They are able to move within the two planes of existence through these black voids, and due to their unique eyes, they're able to see where these uh, voids are going to appear, which the humans seem to not be able to see. Back in Ops, Sisko has come up with a plan. He and Odo will attempt to enter the void and get all of the stranded crew members out. He has Bashir give him a drug that will counter the hallucinations. They enter the void and start helping everybody get out. He finds some of the Tizwari aliens roaming around the station, and they attack them. Meanwhile, back in Ops, more of the aliens arrive and try to force O'Brien to help revert their ship back to normal space. Unknowingly, they are asking O'Brien to do exactly what he was already trying to work out how to do. O'Brien and the crew go along with letting the aliens think that it's their idea. He also has to delay them so that Sisko can get all the Federation crew back to normal space. Back in the void, Odo and Sisko have taken out some of the aliens. Odo is able to transform his body so detailed that he's now able to see as they do. And he's able to see where these rifts are opening and where they can sneak out. Alright, so they're able to get all the citizens out of the void space and they sneak into ops using the same uh, portal that the uh, the aliens were using. They quickly knock out the aliens that are there in ops and have O'Brien perform his magical trick that reverts everything back to normal. The aliens are rounded up and will face trial. The end. Wasn't that a fantastic one? Okay. Now, I I think this is a lame story right. that is lamely executed. I have an opinion here. Let's let's listen. I don't know if you noticed that, but I have an opinion. You have an opinion often. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that part of the point of us doing these things? Yes, absolutely. Let's hear it. No, it's that's my statement. I Oh, that's your opinion? That it's that, that's my opinion. <laughs> it's lame. I thought you had an opinion about the overarching why it was lame or 
Oh, well, okay. So uh, I think the idea that that these the these absolutely nuts aliens. And by the way, I kind of you know the whole idea of a ship transporting itself away from a is away from a spot is is a little intriguing. But when you when you think about that, and they mention it in this in the story at least, um, the actual transporter device doing the transportation has to be disassembled and reassembled someplace else also, which is patently ridiculous. Right. I mean, because that's the whole idea of transportation, right? I mean, you're you're actually taking a, a hunk of matter in one place, reading everything you can about it, and basically destroying it in its original place and then reconstituting it at a remote location. So the only thing is in the middle of that, as you're transporting to the new location, the device that's doing the work in this case would also be transported and also destroyed and it's just ridiculous. Right. That these guys would even try this. And then the idea that ooh, some kind of negative end space, whatever uh, is going to affect parts of the ship and ooh, they just so happen to have uh, some kind of medical thing that affects people and causes hallucinations on board. Just so happens to have that. Just that little spice to the story is lame. <laughs> and, and and I don't like their, their little horn beards either, the Tazeri or whatever. Oh, so there that I'm Tazweri. Tazweri. Whatever. They look like goats. They look like goat guys. They do look like goat guys. Yeah. And finally, the icing on the cake. And I'm sorry to take all your fire here because I'm sure you have similar concerns. The idea that Odo would be able to duplicate a Tazweri body in such detail that he would suddenly have their seeing abilities. Thank you. To see the edges of this stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, that's dumb. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. I'll stop talking now because you might have some other things to say. Ah, uh, no, that's you—you you pretty much nailed it. Um, I was really upset about the Odo being able to mimic their eyes to such detail that his his visual perception is is exactly like theirs. I agree. I mean, altering altering yourself to appear to outside appearances to be something else. Okay, that's a big enough trick, but actually being able to mimic the molecular structure of the eyes and the retina or whatever however their eyes work mm -hmm. it's like come on what, what, how, how would you do that Yeah, and he would have to change his brain itself to accept those Process other impulses it? to right. in order to see that way so yeah I, exactly. I thought that was really silly yeah um, and as far as the beaming of the ship um, to be honest I was kind of excited at first because when I was a kid and I first, you know, I was probably in junior high or whatever and I first started getting into Star Trek, um, I remember this very vividly. I was going to draw my own and write my own comic book. Cool. And I, That sounds like you. And I was, I was working on it. And in my story, the, uh, the Enterprise was in a, a sticky wicket similar to this. Uh -huh. And Sulu had to somehow take this special little shuttlecraft out of the ship and it was able to beam the Enterprise to another location, you know, just kind of like move it 100 yards this way or something like that. Right. And so when they were doing it here in this comic book, I was like, oh, they, they, they got my idea to beam a ship. See yeah. where they go with it. To, and, you know, all this other right. stuff's happening. I'm like, oh, okay, that's not that's not where I was going to go with it. But, you know, I'm just, I was pretty excited at first and then when it was just be that negative space or some alternate dimension and it was bleeding into the rest of the station. I was just like, oh, me and my idea was so much better. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. It, it just seemed like a bunch of lame excuses to manufacture a scenario. Right. Plus, if this black void or whatever was somehow taking over huge chunks of the station, shouldn't those... State parts of the station disappears from your visual, you know, when you look at the pylon, should the pylon still be there? No. Because the ship disappeared, so why did the pylon that's also in the negative vo uh, void also disappear? 
Yeah. So, I, and what and what you do begin to see is like like black blobs, right? Representing parts of the station, I believe. But it wasn't really. I don't know. It just wasn't consistent how they were doing it. It's just it was lame. Back back to my original thesis. Lame. lame. No, you're right. And uh, I mean, I kind of liked the joke about you know the uh, not really a joke, but the you know the the contraband that these aliens had was the hallucination drugs or devices or whatever. They're mm-hmm. they're some sort of seems like drug paraphernalia, right. uh, and somehow. Inside the void, this this hallucination effect is is taking hold of everybody. You know th- right. that was kind of interesting at first, but then it just became kind of silly that people are being attacked by giant purple monsters, and you know, I, I just that part got old pretty fast. Yeah, and luckily they they got over with it. Right. They they had the uh, oh. Bashir gives him a shot or something, so it doesn't affect him anymore. So it's like, okay, well, fine. So basically, you just needed to manufacture some other artificial thing to keep the story interesting. Right. And you're done with that now. Let's move back to the main story. <laughs> okay. But I did. Great. I, I do want to know what uh, those giant Bajoran women were trying to get Rob. <laughs> <laughs> and I did like how Kira at one point asked Rom if. If the giant Bajoran women were his greatest fear or his greatest desire, because it was like it, this, this hallucination would do one or the other. Exactly. So I, it had some good little joke moments, uh, and I think they worked. Uh, but overall, I, I, out of the three that we read today, this was my least favorite. Yeah, this was clearly the weakest, unfortunately. Yep. But yeah, uh, I, I like uh, I like how Odo turned into. Uh, Mr. Gay Cavalier Adventurer on the bottom of page 17 when that whole group of uh, Tazeri start running at them Cisco and and their little band and then Odo says let them test our metal if they will (laughs) yes he does sound a little bit like a musketeer yes exactly or something like that. It's like, oh my god, really? And then the next page, he's doing his Mr. Fantastic Plastic Man routine. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I, I did like the uh, the way that the security guy, when Odo was everywhere, you know, that yeah. that's a legitimate concern. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that, yeah, you well, know, when I'm eating my cereal in the morning, you could be there. You could be the spoon <laughs> I'm using, you know? It's just like, I could see how you could be paranoid if your boss had that kind of power yeah because you know in detail what he what he's capable of right and certainly to uh if he suspected you of something <laughs> he, he'd do it <laughs> he'd do all that stuff i really liked that because that's to me you know maybe i'm just a little paranoid but i'm like well that's a legitimate concern he's <laughs> <laughs> not being weird at all that's that's <laughs> hey if my if my boss could do all that i better not call in sick too often Anyways, like I said, this this story had moments that I really liked, but mm-hmm. overall the 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 story was just not that interesting. Yeah, and, and and for no reason some of the things they were saying, like like the Odo comment about let them let them test our metal if they will, and then at the end Cisco in the last panel, uh, for no apparent reason Cisco says, "We may be races from other planets." But we are united for a common purpose. Da da da. <laughs> and it's like, why did you say that? What? <laughs> huh? And it's like, oh god, it's it's I don't know. It, it's it's like somebody just got through watching some old, I don't know, fifties show or something. You know that was like a little over the top with. Uh, you know, with bad dialogue. I don't know. Right. Nope, I agree with you 100%. So you like ship designs and stuff. What did you think of the Tizwari ship? I kind of like um, it. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, it looked like it looked like if somebody said, I'm just going to describe what the Enterprise looks like. 
and then you just kind of draw it from what I say. Um, except for the fact it's got four nacelles. It might be kind of like what you might come up with. Mm-hmm. So it, it, ha- it has a saucer section. Um, th- there's no distinct engineering section. Okay, that's fine. But it's got two engines coming up uh, on pylons. And uh, actually, it's got it's got four. Four. But, um, but it, it just reminded me a little bit of like uh, like maybe somebody's spin on the Enterprise. Right. Yeah, that's what I thought too. But I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was fine. Four engines. It's got impulse. It looks like it's got an impulse drive hooked up to the back of the saucer section. Yeah, it's fine. Yep, good. Then we are in agreement, sir. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a flat, um, chewing gum-shaped nacelles. Yeah. Right, looks like movie-era nacelles. (laughs) Mm, Right, yeah, maybe a little thinner, but yes. That's why you need four of them. Good point. (laughs) Just make it a little thicker. Make it twice as thick and have two. So, I... I got a question about just this these these last two stories in general. Um, mm-hmm. When the Defiant first showed up and was on the station, wasn't there like a Romulan liaison there for a while, and then she just kind of disappeared? But uh, to run the uh, cloaking right, device, yeah, that was the uh, concession they made with the Romulan Empire that they would. They would have a cloaking device, but they would have a, a Romulan overseer or a liaison there. Yeah, it was something like that. So the whole thing was, you know, when when the whole storyline in that last issue was, you know, Romulans. I kind of thought that maybe she would show up, but she never did. No. Well, you'll notice. Well, they completely forgot about that part. I mean, after they 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 have the ship, they. Say it's got cloaking technology. They explain, well, how could that ship have cloaking technology, even though we've obviously stolen the technology from back in Kirk's time? How come we never used it? So she was on the ship as part of kind of explaining all that inconsistency, and once explained, it's like, okay, don't need that anymore. Let's wipe our hands of that and move on with the story. Right. Or the series. So. Yeah, I kind of need to watch um, season three again and see maybe she did have an episode where she left but I can't recall one uh, I don't remember ever seeing her again but you have seen I think you're a little more up on the DS9 stuff than I am hmm. but I don't remember ever seeing her again right I don't either alright uh, well and, and the only reason I bring it up for this issue is that you know it seemed like everybody kind of had some face time in this issue except except she was not there yeah all right. Anything else? Nada. All right. So normally we do uh, expanded universe and we talk about Deep Space Nine episodes. So the first episode that came out during this time was entitled Heart of Stone, and uh, the most memorable thing, two memorable things on this issue or this episode is that Odo kind of admits to Kira that he loves her because she's she's trapped right. in in this like stone cocoon type thing. Uh, so he's, right. you know, he starts to admit that she, he loves her and it has maybe the first, uh, changeling other than Odo in it. So at the end, mm. he, uh, con- is confronted with, uh, the female changeling that we'll see over and over again for the rest of the series. Cool. Uh, also, this is where Odo admits that his name, he, the reason he's called Odo, which was Odo Atal by Dr. Mora, is because it means nothing right. in Cardassian. It's like, oh, that's not very nice. I will call you nothing, and you'll like it. <laughs> that guy was not very nice. No. But wasn't he trying to, like, get him to do something? For yeah, his own, anything. His own good. Like, well, I think that's come that comes up later, how how yeah. harsh he was to him to get him to do something. Right. Okay. All right. So the the next episode was entitled Destiny, and it had to do with a uh, the first ever joint Bajoran, Cardassian, and Federation science mission to uh, establish a permanent communications link through the wormhole. Hmm. Uh, I don't really recall much about this one. Uh, I don't remember this one. 
at all. All right, then. We'll just keep moving on along. What's the next one? Profit motive. So this is... Uh, so it's another uh, Quark one. The Grand Nagus has written a new virtuous and benevolent set of rules of acquisition. That does not sound like him. No, not at all. And this puts an end to the traditional greedy Ferengi ways. How could this be allowed? Yes. And uh, is this the one where... Uh, this is not where where the uh, it's not the one where Quark is in the wormhole, is it? I don't remember, but I do know that according to the description I'm seeing, um, it was the Orb of the Prophets that modified the Grand Negus's mind. Uh. so that's the explanation. Whether Quark had gotten into the wormhole with the Negus to try to uh, reverse what happened, I don't mm. know. And that one was directed by Odo, Rene. Oh yeah. yeah. As your boys would to always. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to butcher his name. Yeah, I'm not going to do it either. Forget about it. Is that French? Looks like right. French or something. You know, the guy from uh, Benson <laughs> and all those great episodes of The Super Friends. Oh, he was one of the voices? Yeah. Who did he do? Uh, he did uh, Decide, Dark Side's Minion. That was oh, his, okay. That was his main role. Um, okay. He, he, he would pop up in every once in a while. But what's funny oh, okay. is that he so became associated with that voice that for years, anytime uh, Decide would show up in any of any other animated DC comics thing, Dang. he was he was always the voice of Decide. Oh, yeah. cool! So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. All right. The next one was entitled "Visionary." O'Brien starts experiencing. Uh, jumps into the future. don't really remember much about this one. Yeah, well, I don't remember that much about it either. However, it does talk about that's he's jumping into the future while they're hosting at the ES9 uh, a Romulan and Klingon delegations. Oh, wow. Where uh, Miles uncovers a plot by the Romulan to destroy DS9 and the wormhole. Right, and in one of the flash forwards, he actually sees Deep Space Nine being destroyed. I believe so. Well, that stinks. That's not good. No, no. So, yeah, so the Romulans were trying to close contact with the Dominion, which actually was kind of a good idea. Right. Well, the, we're about to get into the big Klingon Federation Romulan war. Isn't that what Season 4 was about? And why they yeah. had to bring Worf on? Right. All right, so next is Distant Voices. Uh, this is where Bashir, kind of like in the issue that we read today, Bashir's stuck in his own head, and in this one, I think he's like playing out his life in the future, not necessarily reliving things in the past. But mm-hmm. uh, I do remember this one a little bit. He like sees himself age, like he gets right. to see the rest of his life. But in this version, he never it never comes out that he's uh, been altered. I wonder, wonder why not. Oh, that's right, because the writers hadn't come up with that yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's multiple things, if you look back in some of the stories that feature some of these characters. Oh, is If Bashir really, well, to your point, if Bashir really had was an enhanced human being, and he actually used that power, but maybe he was like like Superman's father. Oh, don't, don't let people know. Don't use your powers. But, um, referring to the movie. That just came out not long ago. Um, well, also, that's in the 1978 like, movie too, because that that was Jor-El's whole point. You can't oh. uh, you can't change human human events. That's why he wasn't allowed to go back in time to save Lois, but he did anyways because he loved her. Anyways, keep going. Right. Anyway, so um, yeah, you would think that he'd be able to do more things in a in a tough jam. Right. Especially if he's got uh, con-like power, which I never thought he did. But I always thought he did. So he's super strong. Sure, just doesn't show it. So he could take on a whole bunch of Klingons. Well, I don't think I don't think Ricardo Ricardo Montalban was that strong. Ricardo, <laughs> I know the, the 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 new reincarnation of Khan is pretty awesome. Yeah, he's much more powerful than than the other one. I mean, yes. he could take a. And, Vulcan nerve pinch and just keep rolling with it. That's something. All right. That is something. Yeah. And and yeah. Well, let's not go into that. Okay. So uh, yeah. So next one. Yeah. 
Through the Looking Glass. Uh, Mirror Universe episode. Very cool. good one. Yep. Smiley O'Brien. Gotta love Smiley. Yes. <laughs> I-, I loved all the Mirror episodes. Oh, is this the one where um, Smiley comes into our universe? Isn't this the one where they're... Is it the one where they're trying to make the Defiant? Hmm. Well, I'm reading the I'm reading the, the short description that Wikipedia has of it, and they don't even mention the Defiant. Oh, really? Right. Cisco is convinced by Smiley O'Brien from a parallel universe to assume the role of the dead Captain Cisco. Oh, that's Cisco right. Yeah. And convinces Jennifer Cisco to defect to the Terran side. Yeah, this is the one where Cisco has to pretend to be the other Cisco, and he has to be all exactly and rough and right. Right. Kind of like uh, Kirk in the original Mirror right, Mirror. Right. Yeah. All right. And then uh, last for this uh, three months is Improbable Cause. This is uh, where Odo is investigating a bomb that destroys Garrick's tailor shop. And that's all that I really remember about it. Yeah. More intrigue with the Obsidian Order and all that kind of stuff. Right. Oh, I always did like Garrick's character, though. Oh, yeah, I did, too. It was played... I, I, there was always a certain panache, a certain flamboyance about the performance. Uh, whoever that actor was, I thought, I thought was right. quite good. Right, and you never quite knew if he was always being sincere or not. Exactly. Is he a bad guy or right. isn't he? I like that. Yeah, yeah. All right, anything else for this issue? Because we... Uh... We need to get going. No, this is great. Uh, Our listeners have things to do. They don't want to necessarily listen to us chit-chat. There you go. Next episode will be episode 130, and we will do Next Generation miniseries called Shadow Heart, or we'll do the first three issues of that. should be good. I have never read the Shadow Heart miniseries, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, good. Something new for you, too. Right. It'll be all new to me. All right, so uh, until then, hope everybody enjoyed the show, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starT comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name Book Review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here